begin the firehouse. Thanks for joining us. My name's Rick. I haven't got to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here. But I just wanted to do a reminder of anyone, if you've had an opportunity, whether it's uh, passing out the gospel uh, booklet or getting to share your story of, of coming to faith in Christ or, or even just a conversation that's headed that direction. We've been encouraging people to sow. Anytime you do, we, we'd like, we have uh, two buckets with corn kernels up here. So just ask that you grab a couple and drop them in the jar here. There we go. And... Um, the interesting thing is we might have to be thinking about a new a new seed. We did joke about using avocado seeds. There's debate over whether or not those seeds actually create avocado bushes and things like that. Um, some say these are actually guacamole seeds right here. So, um, no, no, I think that avocados have a different technology than like corn and whatnot. So, um, but anyways, uh, this right here in the jar, we've been putting seeds in here. And if you look at this, you might go... Uh, that does not look like a bunch, does it? So we need to make sure you put your seeds in here. But I counted them out this morning. This is probably over 250 seeds right here in this little thing. So 250 times the gospel is being sown in some form or another, even if it's just a gospel-related conversation. But I encourage you, want to keep celebrating the sowing. If you have had opportunities, whether it's a Wednesday night. Uh, this week I got to put into practice one of the videos we saw about the guy that flies and, and his business is kind of worldwide. And so he, he leaves track or booklets in uh, magazines on airlines. So I got to drop, I just dropped three corn kernels in here for a few magazine uh, reading materials I left for people on Southwest Airlines. So, um, but anyways, keep doing that. But um, we are, if, if you've been with us this month of July, we've been doing a series um, called Empowered. It's a series on the Holy Spirit. And so this morning we're doing part four of this series. And so we, um, we asked Dennis to join us here. Some of you, if you've been a part of Great Commission Churches, you, you might have... Uh, heard of Dennis before? You might know him or Thelma is, is, or some of his kids. And say, any of you know Dennis or heard of Dennis? Can I get a hoorah? A few, a few of you do. Now, some of you, if you don't know Dennis, um, you know, and you haven't been in Great Commission churches, Dennis and Thelma were, were they were on the Great Commission of Jesus Christ back before there were Great Commission churches or an association of any sort or probably any organization of any sort, I think, too. But, um, you know, in some ways I really look at Dennis as a, almost like a, a spiritual forefather. You know, Dennis and some, um, some people back in the early 70s got together and they just really had a heart to take what they were reading in the New Testament and the book of Acts and get proactive with the gospel. And they began to travel and share the gospel with people um, all over the place and campuses and different things like that. And the overflow of that was many people who got initiated with with the gospel got saved and churches began to get planted and things just began, you know, God's spirit was moving. And so, I don't know about you, but I came to Christ. I heard the gospel through a Great Commission church in Fort Collins. But in some way, um, the, the church in Fort Collins and many churches across the nation were an overflow of, of Dennis and, and some people together that just had a passion to obey Jesus Christ and to take his commands personally to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so, anyways, uh, why don't you guys give a warm welcome to Dennis Clark here this morning. <laughs> well, it's really encouraging to be here. Um, you know, uh, I really enjoyed that worship time, you guys. Um, that was so... I, I don't know if it's just because the ceiling's low, and you guys were singing loud, and, you know, we had all this band up here. It was just really... Inspiring, and I thank you for that. It was uh, very encouraging. 
And you know, the whole time uh, this morning has been encouraging because it's kind of like it's kind of like when you go to Faith Walkers conferences, you see all these people you haven't seen for a while, and that's just kind of the feeling I've had here this morning because I I'm kind of connecting with a lot of you people. I was just talking to a gal there that way back to 1984 in Ames or something like that. I mean, it was a long time ago. So, um, and you know what else I appreciate about this morning? It's you guys are just very informal. And that's just pretty sweet, too. I mean, it just does, it has a real family feel. So, just want to let you know that. Because sometimes, you know, we can get barn blind and we don't really realize what we got. And, I, of course, I like your place. This is pretty sweet, too, you know. So, yeah. All right. So, um, this is my very first Sunday to be here uh, on at the, at the firehouse. So, and I think it's the very first Sunday my wife has been here, and J- Justin, and Jordan, and Jason, and some of my grandkids. So that makes us first-time visitors. So, yeah. Okay. I think we could use a few more cards right up here. We got to fill some of these out. And uh, if you, I don't know what that gift was. But if it's if it's eats um, and cookies. My favorite are oatmeal. Have you all the nuts? Okay, so. We'll be looking for those. <laughs> all right. So, my part in this series on the Holy Spirit is, uh, I think, it's to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this area of evangelism. So, let's just pray and ask the Lord to guide our time as we look into it. So. Lord, we thank you that um, we, God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Every morning, your mercies. kindnesses are new every morning and we just want to say great is your faithfulness and Lord each one of us could um, get up every morning and take five minutes and just think about you and how you've been so faithful to us and Lord dear um, we are so grateful for that even when we're unfaithful your word says you're faithful and uh, we just ask you to touch our hearts again Lord trustly this morning through your word give us a glimpse of all that you are and how large you are and how huge you are and you're in our lives and Lord you've, got, you've given us the privilege of representing you on this earth and we ask you just to walk around in our bodies and speak through our lips and love through our hearts, see through our eyes, because you're worthy. And, uh, and each of us have a story to tell. And, and you're the one, you're, and you're the whole reason why. And so, Lord, I just thank you for this, uh, this family right here and this uh, all that you've done in each of their lives in the history that many of us have and we go back a ways and uh, we're, 
we're glad for that, Lord. And we look forward to the future, too. That um, Just think about how your word says our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And, and just help us, Lord, to have a better understanding of this hope of our calling. And just to be thinking about that more and more and more. And let that affect us. The hope. That's heaven. And we want to live. Um, for that day when we see you. And we just give you thanks and praise now. And we, we trust your Holy Spirit to take your word, apply it to each one of our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Wow. <clears throat> that was a rather emotional one. I don't, I don't know why I'm so... Maybe it's because of the Lord. I don't know. So, Okay. Um, Jesus, when he was on this earth, he spent three years with 12 men. And their lives were radically changed. And at the end of those three years, he told them that he was getting ready to leave them. But the relationship that he had started with them would continue because of the Holy Spirit who he was going to send and live, actually live in them. And his last words to them include a promise and a command. Okay, next slide, yeah. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you. That's the promise. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That's the command. So we got the promise and the command. And notice how he's making a connection here, you guys, between the Holy Spirit and evangelism. Um, his purpose in coming, the Holy Spirit's purpose in coming, according, it's real clear in this verse, um, was to empower them, his disciples, to be witnesses, to speak the good news. Uh, it's like Christ looked ahead and he could see um, all the difficulties and all the spiritual battles and the scary situations uh, that they were and the, and the, the particular uh, difficult situations that they were going to be in because of their commitment to Christ. And it's like he could see all of that and he was saying, okay, you're going to need a lot of help in carrying out this command to reach the world and to be strong because of the spiritual warfare that's going to be hitting you guys and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to come and he's going to strengthen you and as I think back on my years of ministry um, I think probably some of the weakest times that I have ever felt are, are when it was in connection with sharing the gospel um, and I just want to share just an example of that real quick when we were living back in Maryland, uh, we lived there for 17 years, and um, there was this um, couple that each one of them had previous marriages, and they had children and um, in those marriages, and now they were living together. Um, and they came to church one Sunday and asked if I would marry them. And I said, well, let's get together and talk here, and but they were already living together in, in a big house and that they built and all the kids were there and so living with them. And so on that very first, uh, that very first pre-counseling session, they both committed their lives to Christ. And, and now here they are 
they're, they're living together in this home that they built and all of the kids that were living with them. And so they show up on Sunday and ask if I marry them. And, that's, and that's, that was difficult for me to know because at that point I, I, I thought they were non-Christians. But then when they got saved, then I thought, okay, now what do we do? Because they're living together. They're kind of like one big happy family, except they weren't because they weren't married. And so that means they were living together immorally. And so I told him that God doesn't really like that. And um, it's wrong. And they knew that. I was kind of surprised. They, they already knew that. So I suggested one of them move out. They only had about four weeks left before the, the wedding. And so it seemed like, okay. And I told them that I thought it would be a real testimony to their family, to their kids, and to their friends, co-workers. <laughs> It was, for sure. They thought it was crazy. Um, But I thought it would also help build security into their relationship in the future years as husband and wife to do it the right way. So they agreed to that. And they also agreed to, to my request that I could be able to share the gospel at their wedding. So they agreed to that. So the day came when I was uh, sitting there, I think it was kind of like a big ballroom, and I was watching all of these people start coming into this ballroom. And they were from a whole different cut of cloth than, than me. And um, I, uh, just to show you how, how different these folks were, their caliber was quite a bit different. I mean, okay, so after most weddings you have a reception, right? So after the bride, so this reception was on the waterfront at the Chesapeake Bay, and which was kind of cool, really. Um, but then the bride and groom show up normally after all the pictures are taken. So here they come. But you know what they're showing up in? What are they coming in? A 40-foot cigarette boat. How many of you guys have ever seen a cigarette boat? Don't even know what they are. Well, they're probably about several million dollars. But, you know, they're the real fast ones. They're all skinny, and they're, this one's like 40 feet long. And so it pulls up to the dock, and these guys get out. So you see why I felt a little uncomfortable? This was kind of the whole caliber of all these people that were showing up, and they kept showing up. And I, I, was, uh, I couldn't relate to any of them, I don't think. I was sitting there kind of freaking out a little bit and trying to justify getting out of sharing the gospel. That's really what I was trying to do. I need to admit it. So I was praying, Lord, these people don't look open. I don't think they would appreciate hearing the gospel at their friend's wedding. And they kept just kept coming in, and they kept coming in, and holy cow, this place is filling up. And they all are way like that, different, so different. And I, I kept praying, please, Lord, give me a break. Just give me an out. Just this one time, please. But I knew, I already knew what, how it was going to end up. Um, because I knew God wanted me to do it. And that was really tough. I knew He just wanted me to trust Him. And boy, was that hard. So I did. And I understand that the Holy Spirit's power is unlimited because He's God. But I can't help but think I used up most of that that morning in, in having Him get me ready to share the gospel. And after I did, I was so glad I did. And I realized then, at that point, that I could never have done that. I would never have done that. I was just trembling if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. 
and his power in my life. So, and it was really kind of the Lord too. Um, in my weaknesses, in spite of my weakness, in spite of my lack of faith, God had some people come up afterwards and just tell me how much they appreciated me sharing the gospel there. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, that's his part. He provides supernatural power. And what other parts does the Holy Spirit, can you think of? What other parts might he play in, in evangelism? Okay, you can go to the next one. He provides supernatural power. That's number one, and that's huge. But then, he also opens up minds. Uh, this verse in Second Corinthians 4, we need to think about that one more often because, you guys, we are in a spiritual battle. I remember when I was a young Christian, a guy told me, he said, Dennis, if we could just put on spiritual glasses and look into the heavens, we would freak out. We, we forget that so often that we have a foe and it says the God of this world with a little g has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Satan knows where he's going. He knows his time is, is short and he wants to take as many people there as he can. So he blinds the minds of the unbelieving. Have you ever thought, why is it so hard for this person to understand it's a free gift? You know, and God loves them. He's the only person that ever died for them. And he, why can't they get saved? I've thought that so many times. Do you understand it? Yeah, I do. But somehow Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So, Satan blinds and God opens. God has to do that. These are things that only the Holy Spirit can do. Otherwise, we're just blowing smoke when we're talking to people about Christ. He's got to give us strength, supernatural. He's got to open blind eyes. A third thing he does, he convicts of sin. It says, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay? And number four, he draws people. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so these are all parts the Holy Spirit has to play in, in evangelism to see anything happening. I often turn this into a prayer, John 6:44 right here. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. But it says, no one comes to me, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. And so I start applying that and I say, God, please draw this person. And I name him. Would you draw this person? Not that he's probably already doing that, but I just kind of want to make sure. You know, or just add to it. I just, I tell him my heart. I just let God know what I'm, my heart is. I would love to see this person. Please, would you draw him? And then another thing he does, he orchestrates. All the circumstances, the events, the times, the places, and the people that will play a part in the process of bringing a person to Christ. If you brought your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Acts 17. And we'll just take a quick look at this. Acts 17. And we'll start with verse 24. I'm going to read out the New American Standard. It says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And neither is He served by human hands as though He needed anything 
since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one person every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, that perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. The NIV says he determined the times set for them and the exact places they should live. Now in the context he's talking about nations and their times of existence and their places where they're going to be uh, situated on this globe. But what are nations except people groups? And what are people groups made up of? Individuals. So we could really apply this in a personal way. You could read it this way. God determined the very time in history you would be born. And the very nation um, you would live in. He determined where you would grow up and, and the family that you would have. Psalm 139 talks about how he, he formed our substance, our unborn substance. He was involved even when we were in the womb creating our skeletal features in our in our organs and all that so God determined even the family um, the very parents he determined the very parents that each of us would have because he wanted to give you the very DNA that he wanted you to have and you got that from your mom and dad and he determined the personality that goes along with that and the giftings and the abilities that he's given you and that's all from God even you think about your your pre- BC days, even the friends, some good and some bad, as far as influences go, but he, he determined those. I can look back on and I think, well, I can see it now, how God gave me Bill Fix and James Gilbert as my buddies in high school. He determined, but yeah, that is no mistake, God's in charge of it all. He's sovereign, and he's using all of this for a purpose, and that's verse 27, so that men would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him. And that happened to me when I was 18. And I had all that stuff going on for me. And I just, I, I didn't even realize it at the time. But I can look back now and I can, I, I believe in it and I thank God for all that. My mom and my dad and my giftings and my personalities and all that kind of stuff. And my friends. Because it works. It works. But boy, I think of all the work God went to to bring you to salvation. That's a lot of work. And then think about your friends and, the, and how God may be working in them. That's huge. That, that's, a, that's another huge way the Holy Spirit is involved in reaching this world for Christ. And I'm going to give you another one. It's in and through changed lives. He uses changed lives. He's chosen to use changed lives. He could use a tree. You know, nine Christian walks by, you know, the tree said no. He's decided to use people, and that's you and me. But he really wants to use people whose lives are transformed, not just in the gate, but he's going to use the people that, whose lives reflect him and his character and his person, who he is. He's going to open doors for these kinds of people. He uses changed lives. Back in the Old Testament, God's desire for the nation of Israel was to be a light to the surrounding nations. Okay, Isaiah says it right here. I will make 
also make you, Israel, a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. A light to the nations. What does light do? It attracts. It reveals. It exposes. So God wanted to use the nation Israel in the Old Testament as a lighthouse, a beacon, to attract the attention of pagan nations so that they would see God's supernatural power working in them and through them. And His purpose for doing this was so that the people, other nations, would notice and conclude Israel's God is God. And we see that happening all throughout the Old Testament. And this explains some of the rather odd narratives that are taking place there. For example, the plagues in Egypt. (laughs) Now what was that all about? I mean, if God really knew that Pharaoh's heart would only change, you know, um, by... Why did he... It seems like a bunch of stalling going on here. Why didn't God just start with plague number 10 and and be done with it? It's because God had something else in mind. And that was that he, he wanted to teach Egypt a lesson. It's kind of like an idol by idol. God just started dismantling their religious system. And here's, here's, what, here's how it looked. For example, the Egypt's, Egyptians worshipped the Nile. And so what did God do to the Nile? He turned it to blood. They also worshipped the sun. This is what God do to the sun. He brought three days of darkness over the land. They, they also worshipped Pharaoh, who ended up being very disgraced and humiliated. So what they worshipped was no match for the God of Israel. And when the people woke up in the middle of the night and they saw their firstborn children dead, there was no other recourse than to admit, God, Israel, Israel's God is God. Israel's God is God. And then you think about Joshua. And how absurd. Joshua marching around. Why didn't they just attack the city head on? Seven days marching around the city. Because God had something else in mind more than just capturing a Canaanite city. Because God wanted the surrounding nations to be awed, not by Israel's military prowess or, or strength, but He wanted them to be awed by Israel's God. Think about Gideon. Why in the world would God command Gideon to get his army down to, what, 300? And he's going to march across this valley in the middle of the night, Jehoshaphat, and and, uh, the valley of Jehoshaphat, and go attack this army of 135,000? Yeah. Why would a shepherd boy with a rock and a sling step out and slay a nine-foot giant? And why would King Jehoshaphat be ordered by God to put the choir in front of the army as it marches out to battle? These are all very odd narratives. Uh, But there's a purpose for each one of them. He wanted to use his people to showcase his presence and his power and his character. So when we come to the New Testament, an important transition takes place. God transfers the responsibility of being a light to the nations from Israel to the church, to you and me. Jesus explained it this way. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father 
who is in heaven. Years ago, the newsboys wrote a song to that. Shine. Make him wonder what you've got. I like that. Make him wonder what you've got. Make him wish that they were not on the outside looking board. Shine. Let us shine before all men. Let them see good works. And then, let them glorify the Lord. Let your light shine before men in such a way. What way? That people notice. That people notice what? That people notice something attractive about our lives. And I believe this is the starting point of the Holy Spirit's ministry and evangelism in your life and in mine. And it's our life and it's our lifestyles and our personal character. Hey, you like this light show going on up here? Yeah. I'm gonna start the music in just a little bit here. Okay. So as we walk through our daily routines, just our daily routines of living out our lives, just living out the life that God has given us, and allowing Him control on a daily basis, listen to this, people will notice. They will notice. You will be watched. Because it's, it's our turn now. It's our lives now that God wants to use to attract others. I think about turning this verse into a prayer. It would be something like this. Father, let my light shine before men in such a way that they may see my good works and glorify you, Father. A prayer Dr. Bright prayed, and I remember hearing him say this, and I remember him talking about this a lot when I was on staff with Campus Crusade, but he said, Lord, I want you to walk around in my body today, and I want you to see through my eyes. I want you to love others through my heart. And I think one of the reasons we don't take this kind of thing very seriously is because we don't think people are watching. And you know what? They are. They're watching you just like you're watching them. It's it's human nature. You know, you go to your neighbor's house and, and then when you leave, they're talking about you. Just like you're talking about them. I think they're living together. Or did you how he t- did you hear how he talked to his kids? Man, they seem happy. Or do you think those carpets have ever been cleaned? <laughs> and if you're a parent, you're watching other parents to see how they're dealing with their kids. If you're married, you're watching other couples to see how they treat each other. And if you're a single, you're watching everybody. <laughs> people are watching what do they see that's the question what are they looking at do they see anything in your life that would cause them to wonder what you've got that's what God's after you guys what things do you think would attract non-Christians if they were to show up in your life man there's a lot of them there's, and it's mainly character isn't it Philippians 2, verse 14 says, do all, things, uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be the children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse 
nation or world among whom you shine notice as lights in the universe what's going to set you apart not grumbling everybody grumbles when I was in the army they belly ached about everything and they'll find things to grumble about and you know it's so natural all of a sudden if you don't grumble that's the opposite of grumbling yeah just giving kind of being thankful giving thanks or whatever I used to, when I was a young Christian that was a that was a real that was drilled into me and I was really faithful at doing that every time something bad happened my first response thank you Lord but then I got more mature and wise and I don't do that anymore <laughs> you know we never graduate from the basics in fact we we drift away from them and I think Hebrews talks about that lest you drift away We've got to be careful to guard our hearts to stay childlike in our faith and do those things that are going to please the Lord. In Ephesians 5, find those things that are pleasing to the Lord. Do them. Well, it says give thanks in all things. So anyway, Philippians 2. And also Philippians 4. Here's another one that's going to set you apart. Paul says this, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. You know what the word forbearing there means? It means let your gentleness, let your sweet reasonableness. Are you easy to get along with or hard to get along with? Let that be known to all men. Let your reasonableness, let your reasonableness. It really means your willingness to, to not take all that's due to you. That's hard. But let that be known. So, there's a lot of things, but I just want to give you a couple real quick ones as starters. And you can add to the list and work on it. But let's just think about, it says, it says uh, to not worry about anything, but, but through prayer and supplication, unless you request me, okay, worry. I think inner peace is a, a rare commodity these days. People spend a lot of time and money trying to find peace. But that's just, that's just artificial. That's chemically induced or whatever. Whereas genuine peace really stands out. And when people see that, they just can't understand it. And that's what, that's what God's after. He wants our lives, He wants us to lead inexplicable lives. That should characterize every one of our lives. We're inexplicable. Who can define that one for me real quick? What's inexplicable? Not able to what? Not able to be explained. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep, they just can't understand it. There's a married, there's a couple in Parker that Tom and I have gotten close with over the years. Our boys were in little league um, and all through high school lacrosse teams together, and so we got to know these guys. And um, they were Jim and Jana, Jim and Jana Ruggieri, and they got saved because of something they saw at a funeral and it shook them up it showed up in a mom and a dad that uh, at that funeral whose son they were burying that day he had just gotten killed in a car accident and what they saw in this couple was God's supernatural peace covering these guys and they didn't know what it, Jim and Jan or Jerry they were just looking on they were non-Christians at the time and they were just noticing this and they couldn't explain it 
but it really bothered them deep down inside so much so that they they thought what what how can this be how can that be possible but they then in a word of faith they thought well what's different about them well they go to church all right so guess what they started doing they started going to church because they wanted to find some answers and they eventually found Christ peace they were able to accept good and bad from God's hand just like Job the Lord has given the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord I think it was Elizabeth Elliot that first said this she said in acceptance lieth peace and we can accept things you guys as long as Romans 8 28 is in the Bible and if you're, if you're not going to accept it just take your little pen knife out and cut that verse out of the Bible we've got to learn to accept it and believe God is sovereign he's allowing the good and the bad and he's got purposes for it and some of this we may not understand until we're in heaven the secret things belong to the Lord the things revealed belong to us the secret things belong to the Lord we may not understand it so inner peace people are watching they had no idea that they were being watched and it turned into the salvation of this couple I think a second thing is healthy relationships I spend hours every day with 15 year olds in, in my driver's ed car and one of the questions I ask them is slow down no I, I ask them where do you live and I ask that because part of the driving test they're going to have to take after drive one, two, and three, after they get their six hours in with a driving instructor, they have to take this drive test. And part of that's going to be in a neighborhood. How many of you are 15 years old? Let me see your hands. Nobody? All right. Yeah. Do you have your permit? Oh. Well, you might as well get it and get some start, get some hours in. <laughs> Got to have 50, 40 day, 10 night, anyway. Okay. I asked them where they live. And I asked them that because I want to find out if they're near a neighborhood. Because in the, on the drive test, it's, it's going to be a narrow little neighborhood with cars on both sides. It's really a busy place. And they need to practice in that neighborhood. And so I'm asking, are you living, are you in one of those? Or do you live close to one? I can recommend one. All right. But you know the answer I get, 50%. I'd say over half of them tell me this. Something like this. Well, my mom, she lives in Stroh Ranch, and my dad, he lives over near Lincoln and I-25. And I'm, also, I'm almost to the point where I don't even like to ask them that question anymore because I hate to think of the answer they're going to give. It's over 50%. Divorce is just so matter-of-fact these days. And for many people in their grown-up years, their relational dreams just are not coming true. And life isn't happening for them as they'd hoped. And when they see a healthy marriage, and when they see a happy family, and they see kids that actually get along with each other in the family, and, and that kind of love their dad and mom and talk respectfully to them, whoa, they wonder what they've got. That's a that's a that's a attention grabber, you guys. Why them? Not me. How did they get there? What's their secret? So you got to ask yourself, 
This question, how are the key relationships in your life? Your marriage with your spouse, the relationships with your kids, for your singles, your roommates, or your friends, your boss, the opposite sex. How are you doing in the area of moral purity? People are watching. So my ending point today is really the starting point. I think it's the starting point for the Holy Spirit to make our lives more effective in the gospel. And that is, and it all gets back to one thing. And that's your relationship with God. I like this next quote. We're not called to a task. We're not called to a mission or a job or a ministry. We're called to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. As goes your relationship with Christ, so goes everything else in your life. You know, a phrase that I've thought about a lot this past year, more than any other phrase, is this phrase right here. There's only one thing I'm going to take with me to heaven. And you know there's only one thing you're going to take with you to heaven? And that one thing is your relationship with God. And that's the only thing that will matter on that day when you stand before Him. And you will be standing before Him. Just the two of you. Your roommate won't be there. My wife won't be there. My kids won't be there. Just me and God. And I'm going to realize on that day the priority of my relationship. Because that's what I'm going to have for all eternity. And we need to build that in these days. How's your relationship with God? Is it really worth it to go to all this trouble to be a light and a testimony and to, and to be kind of in a, living in a glass house where people can see? Yes, I should want that. I should want that because God desires that. Because He wants to attract people. Is it worth it? I'd like to close just by reading part of a letter I received this past week. And I read this not to make an impression or to draw attention to myself. But I read, if I can get through it, I want to read this to motivate you, all of you guys, to be these flesh and blood examples that people need and they want to see. See, all of us can be that light. It doesn't take a special gift. It doesn't take maturity. It doesn't take gifting or personality. It just takes a heart. And walking in the Spirit like you've been hearing these past weeks. And I hope this encourages you. Dear Dennis, I arrived at church early this morning and met a man in a parking lot who was hoping to meet with one of the counselors who works at the counseling center housed in our church. When I told him I was a pastor, he asked if I had time to meet with him. He was having a panic attack. An hour later, I led him to Christ. He was at peace. And this happened because 40 summers ago, you made the sacrifice to come to Columbus, Ohio to share the good news of Christ. July 15th, 1973, right after dinner at the Jewish sorority house on Iuka Street, you led me to Christ and things have never been the same. <clears throat> the past few months, I frequently thought of these early formative years and days. And I've had it on my heart to write you a letter to thank you for the role that you played, not only in leading me to Christ, but also for being my spiritual dad, who helped to guide and encourage me. No one else played as important a role 
in shaping my life and my perspective about the world. You were the flesh and blood example that God gave me to follow. To learn how to be a Christ follower. To be a good mentor. To be a good husband, a good dad. My life had been so very different before coming to Christ. Growing up in dysfunction junction with an alcoholic and rageaholic dad. Having two parents who were constantly at war with one another. Experiencing much verbal abuse and some physical abuse. Left me with so many fears and insecurities and wounds and shame. Forty years ago, Jesus started changing all of that. From the very beginning, I had learned about being on mission from you. A few years later, we were co-pastors together. Doing campus surveys and doing Bible studies. And campus events that led not only to salvation, but also to leaders being raised up where we labored on North Campus at OSU. Doug Brown, Jack Stockdale, Mike Moret, Tom Short. And he goes on through the years and just talks about how what he's been involved in. We haven't really talked that much. I kind of lost touch. But then he just ends and he says, Today I enjoy a life that I could not even imagine as I began my last quarter at OSU that summer 40 years ago. I'm a pastor at a very large church. I coach a few campus pastors and staff and I have a blessed relationship with my wife and five kids. And I enjoy a very special connection on... With, uh, with our four grandchildren, soon to be five. And all of this and much more because of Jesus. And I write these things so that you can have a glimpse of all that I'm thanking you for. <clears throat> Thanks for introducing me to the Savior 40 years ago. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Blessings to you, Terry Bartley. <clears throat> I hope um, that encouraged you. Is it worth it? Yeah. And if you determine to live for eternity and to be that light and to get out of bed every morning and pray a prayer and get in the Word and then make a commitment to obey everything God shows you and you're making your life available for Him just walking in the Spirit hey, you'll see letters like this 40 years from now if God isn't back before then. So let's pray. God, we're really grateful for the privilege you've given us to be your ambassadors and your representatives here on earth. You've given us the privilege of speaking wonderful words of life. How often do our non-Christian friends hear eternal words spoken to them? Thank you for the privilege you've given us, Lord. Just simply of being lights, being testimonies. And God, help us to see that you've really called us not to a task, not to a mission, not even the great to fulfill the great commission. You're, you've called us to a relationship with you. And in that relationship, you want the great commission just to flow out of our lives in a very natural and desirable way. And I just pray that you'd help us catch a glimpse of that. I want to thank you for this time in Jesus' name. You can put that other quote up on the board. Yep.
God bless you guys.